It is 22nd of May, 1915. It's just after 6.45am. The gas lights that flicker in the carriage have long been supplanted by the blinding morning sunlight. The train trundles along, on its way from Larbert near Falkirk to Liverpool. You and the rest of the troops aboard are on your way to Gallipoli. Turns out the war hadn't finished by Christmas like everyone thought, and those on the train have started to hear little stories, hear little whispers that the war on the Western Front is less daring do and more drown in dirt. A report in the Manchester Guardian had briefly mentioned Australia and New Zealand's invasion of the peninsula, saying that, despite a stout resistance from the entrenched enemy, they had made good their footing. That didn't sound too bad. The troops on the train are volunteers from the territorial force. They've been mocked and derided by politicians, even Lord Kitchener himself. He's so focused on his conscript army that he thinks the territorials would be better suited to working on home defence. But the army has been decimated in the first year of the war and Kitchener's new army won't be ready for action until September. The territorials are going to get their chance and a lot of the troops on your train are determined to prove him wrong. You're not so sure, but... Maybe the front will be more comfortable than these old wooden train carriages. They look like they've just been pulled out of a scrapyard. Little do you know, they basically have been. Still a few hours to Liverpool. You shield your eyes against the morning sun with your cap and close your eyes. This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. It is the 22nd of May 1915, it's just after 6.45am and James Tinsley has arrived at work. He's half an hour late but his colleague, the night signalman George Meakin, isn't too bothered. You see they have a wee arrangement that means James can start a wee bit later, makes it easier for him to get in in the morning and George doesn't mind. He brings a morning paper with him and he can stick his feet up while he copies out the logbook that George has been writing down on a sheet of paper. That way it saves him getting into trouble. Being a signalman's a pretty tough job. Neither of them feel that they get enough credit. They're responsible for people's safety. Shunting trains into sidings, sorting the points, ensuring that trains bound for Scotland and England alike make it through their zone safely. So what does it matter if they have a little arrangement? What does it matter if there's only supposed to be one person in the signal box at a time? George needs a cup of tea. So did the guard from the wagon train and the guard from the empty goods train, both of which were sitting in the siding. There are too many rules to signalling, really. There was a lot of responsibility, sure, but it was usually pretty straightforward. It was so rare that anything went wrong that things like having to put wooden collars on top of your levers to remind you where trains were, or coming in on time, or even that bloody Rule 55, all seemed a bit pointless. When your train is detained on a running line at a signal at danger, or without movement authority, you must contact a signaller as soon as possible. 
That usually meant some suit-covered fireman coming up and telling them how to do their job. There he is now. James gives him a pen to sign the logbook, but he's still busy copying out the logs that he missed. Guy's gone almost as soon as he came. Which train was he from, anyway? The next signal box along was offering up the morning troop train. James accepts it. Signalling's usually pretty straightforward. Hi everybody, I just thought I'd cut in and have a wee break just to say thank you for continuing to support Scotland. I know that our episodes have been fairly irregular this year, so I just wanted to thank you for being super patient with us. If you can support us, it's great and it helps us to make more episodes. If you can rate us five stars on your podcast app of choice, leave us a wee review. And if you have a spare fiver, you can join the Scotland Supporters Club on Patreon. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash Scotland podcast, you can donate a fiver a month and that helps us keep the show going. It is 22nd of May 1915. It's just before 6.50am and Mr and Mrs Dunbar are getting ready to open the old blacksmiths at Gretna Green. It's the beginning of wedding season and with so many young men going off to war, things are going to be busy this year. They've got some bits and pieces to get ready for Mr Mackey, the owner and anvil priest who does all of the marriages that come through. The birds sing in the fields off towards the railway as Mrs Dunbar imagines brides and grooms waking up for their wedding day, some excited, some scared, ready to head to church, or to the blacksmiths, or ready to elope, or to run away from families that don't approve, ready to be loved, forever. The birds stop singing. It is 22nd of May 1915, 6.49am, a few hours until Liverpool you're finally dozing off. The gas lights that flicker in the carriage have long been supplanted by blinding morning sunlight. But that doesn't mean, as the troop special with you aboard ploughs head on into the local express train stopped on the line, the gas and the tanks which are slung under the train won't catch light and explode. But before that can happen, the northbound express train, sent up the tracks by James Tinsley, crashes into the existing wreckage. Before you know what's happening, the train is ablaze. The acrid smoke fills your mouth and nose, forcing a hacking cough up from the very depths of your lungs. Your eyes are stinging streaming tears which almost sizzle off as soon as they come. All around you, the walls are on fire. Panic sets in. Your brain blocks out the screaming. Your eyes refuse to believe what they see. People on fire. Are you on fire? You're on fire. You crash out of the door and onto the ground. The sky is black with smoke. Screaming fill the air. Are they yours? The size of the explosion caused Mrs Dunbar at the old blacksmith's shop to report later that she believed the Germans had come. 
The people of Gretna Green charged towards the source of the noise, realising that a German army in the centre of Scotland is like hearing hoofbeats and thinking zebras instead of horses. The fire rages, catching on the wooden frames of the old train. Soldiers stagger from place to place. Some are trapped under the twisted, molten metal of the wrecked locomotive. Those who aren't on fire are covered in superheated grit. The fires rage. Army officers move among the twisted bodies, kicking luggage aside, stooping to check pulses, to examine wounds. Sometimes they stand and unholster their sidearms. Their revolvers extend out in front of them in shaking hands and crack above the sound of the flames, above the screaming and the pleading. They silence them. Lives snuffed out before they could ever see the front lines. In the days that followed, the bodies were lined up in a nearby field and processed. The railway reopened three days later, and soldiers rolled by on their way to the front, past the burnt-out remains of the carriages, which just a few days before had held 500 of their comrades. 226 people died, and 246 were wounded in the crash. The bodies of those who could be recovered were laid to rest in a mass grave in Edinburgh's Rosebank Cemetery. In court, James Tinsley claimed he forgot about the train sitting on the line. He and George Meakin became the first people to be indicted for the same crime in two different countries, England and Scotland. Lord Strathclyde, who had previously presided over the trial of Oscar Slater, a story which you can hear more about in our feed, said... At 6.43 on the morning of the day in question, the men in the signal box at Quintons Hill were asked to accept the troop train coming from the north. They accepted it. That meant that they gave the signal to the north that the line was clear and that the troop train might safely come on. At that very moment when the signal was given, there was before the very eyes of the men in the signal box a local train which was obstructing the line on which the troop train was to run. One man in the signal box had actually left the train a few minutes before, just at the time when it was being shunted onto the upline. The other man had a few minutes before directed the local train to leave the down main and go on to the up main. That is the staggering fact that confronts you. If you can explain that fact consistently with the two men having faithfully and honestly discharged their duties, you should equip them. If you cannot explain that staggering fact consistently with the men having faithfully discharged their duties, then you must convict them. They were both found guilty. Tinsley received three years penal servitude. Meakin was imprisoned for 18 months. Both men were released from prison on the 15th of December 1916 and immediately returned to jobs on the Caledonian Railway. Make of that what you will. You've been listening to Scotland. This episode was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. Additional voices in this episode were by Aaron Richardson, 
and David Allen. You can find out more about the show on our website, scotlandpodcast.net, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok sometimes, too. You can find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Look after one another. We'll see you next time.